Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 247 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is November 19th, 2012. Obviously got a big show for you this week. USC in the middle of two bye game, or two rivalry games, losing to UCLA uh, in the Rose Bowl. Now have Notre Dame coming up in the Coliseum. We got a lot of questions that you have sent in and called in. To get to, we're going to try to get to each and every one of them. If you have any questions or comments, here's how you get a hold of us. Podcast at uscfootball.com. That is our email. Send us an email there. Or you can call 206-888-6755. Leave a voicemail or go to peristylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page and leave us a voicemail right from your computer. Don't even have to pick up your phone. And we have Dan Weber coming up a little bit later on in the show. He's going to try to answer as many questions as possible that you guys have sent in. And we have Coach Harvey Hyde in the very first segment. We love talking to him. I just want to let people know, again, a reminder, we love your questions. If you send us an email, try to keep it short. We don't. We can't read 18 paragraphs on the air. I know you want to vent, but we can't read all that. People send me in uh, their plan for the new defense, and they send me spreadsheets and charts. I'm like, we can't really read all that stuff on the podcast. And if you leave a voicemail, try to keep it short. 30 seconds is good. 45 seconds is good. Two and a half minutes, we can't really play that. So if you leave a really long voicemail, we can't do that. But Coach Harvey Hyde, we have him joining us in the first segment. I know that he's had, it's been a long season for him. He's had some concerns kind of heading into the season. I wanted to get him to talk about all that and then answer your questions too. How you doing, Coach? What's up? Ryan, I'm fine. Thank you. Thank you. And there's one more game for this season for sure. And uh, somewhere a bowl game. Uh, we're not sure what's going to happen with that. But uh, I want to remind everyone, too, Ryan, please, if you're planning on going to the Notre Dame game, there are tickets available. And uh, Southern California Ticket Service called me to say, mention it to everyone, because there are tickets available. So we want to make sure they do know that. Oh, yeah. So sctickets.com is where you can go or call them at 1-800-888-7287. Still a hot ticket, this USC-Notre Dame game. Game day will be at the Coliseum. Uh, Notre Dame's ranked number one. It's funny, Notre Dame, I think, was unranked going into the season. USC ranked number one. Now the tables are reversed uh, 11 games later. But, yeah, there are still tickets available at sctickets.com, so you can check them out there. And, Coach, you you know, we kind of talked beforehand, and there were some concerns here. It's been a tough, long season. I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on that, like what you thought about heading into the season and how much of this has been a surprise. Well, there's been a lot of surprises because I assumed, as I think uh, most uh, publications and most media people and uh, uh, felt that if SC picked up where they ended the season a year ago, they're going to be damn good. Because at the end of the season, I've said this many times, they were as good as any football team in the country. They had rhythm, they had the running game, they were play-action passing, they were dominating. They beat Oregon. They were dominating. They finished the season 10-2, and two and everyone was excited, but worried about if Matt Barkley was going to come back. And, you know, some some players did leave. And then on in December, 
the big announcement of him coming back excited everyone because then the talk of national championship and all of that started. And all of the returning starters that surrounded T.J. McDonald with a complete secondary returning and also 18 starters. Across town, of course, UCLA uh, fired their coach, uh, Rick Neuheisel, new football coach, new football staff, new offense, new defense, the whole package, and almost the same players returning. So you start to look at when you're getting all this hype uh, on the offseason of what you do to prepare yourself in the same way to represent this type of hype and, 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 and be ready. I became very concerned in the spring, uh, not that my concern makes any difference with the preparation of a, a USC football team for the coming season, but I thought it was very important to keep the rhythm of what you had at the end of last year's season. And in the spring, if you remember, and I did the spring game for ESPN with Pete Arbogast, and I went to practice in the spring because I really go to more practices in the spring than I do in the fall because of the morning situation. I don't go to morning practices. I don't like that whole idea, so it's difficult to get there. But in the spring, in my old-fashioned way, I feel that's where you make your football team. That's where you hit. That's where you get your timing. That's when you give kids an opportunity to prove themselves after seniors have left. And if you remember this past spring, Matt Barkley participated very little in the spring. He threw in seven-on-seven. Seven but basically it was uh, let's try to develop Kessler and Wittick. And uh, Matt walked around a lot with a hat or did some coaching. And scrimmage very seldom maybe a series or two in the spring, and I felt that was not what should have been featured if you're going to continue with the rhythm and continue with the timing and continue with everything of a football program. I, I mentioned that then. I was concerned then because you lead by example. And uh, I felt that maybe, uh, if you remember, there was very little hitting on scrimmages. Uh, they said the numbers were down. We can't get anybody hurt. There was a lot of things, but you got to hit to learn how to play the game of football. You're always going to have a chance for injuries. There is very little of that. In fact, in the spring game, uh, Matt was only supposed to go for about a quarter maybe. And I hate to say this because I think he's an outstanding young man, and it's not necessarily his fault he had a terrible spring and a terrible spring game. He was supposed to go one quarter. He ended up going three quarters. The timing wasn't there. The rhythm wasn't there. He overthrew players, passes, the whole thing. And then they ended up not tackling. And I personally thought it was uh, uh, they didn't accomplish anything. Did they get better in the spring? When you're number one and everybody's talking about you number one, you got to get better. And I didn't think they got better as a football team in the spring. And I think I, I said that. And it isn't like I'm trying to hide my past thoughts and now saying, oh, coach, now it's easy to say that. No, it's not. And then I remember other little things, such as I remember Hadari at the beginning of media day, and when the spring was going on, Hadari had lost 30 pounds, and they had changed him as a kicker, and he was in shape now, and blah, 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 and then he injures his knee. And there wasn't a backup kicker. And they suffered through that. Now, my feeling was, and if you remember, I think I've told you this story. And if I haven't, I'm sorry. And I'm sorry I'm just rambling along. But when we recruit a guy, we recruit him because he does something well. 
And my best example was Randall Cunningham. One day I looked over there and I saw someone coaching Randall Cunningham as far as in punting. Now, he's a first-team All-American punter. I think he still has the NFL punt record for the longest punt in NFL football history. And I see one of my special teams coach coaching him on how he's not dropping the ball properly. So I ran over there and said, I tell you, you can run over and work with snappers. I'll coach Randall from now on. And I said, in our staff meeting that day, I said, why do we recruit kids and try to change them? But during this offseason, Hadari uh, has lost 20 or 30 pounds, and he was proud about that. And But he hadn't been the same kicker either. I mean, when you consider it's not just the team, it's almost a complete collapse in different areas, tackling, special teams. I mean, when you look at the special teams' performance, after the hype of John Baxter, and nothing against John Baxter, I'm just talking about the entire team. It isn't one thing. Not one thing, but I said on yesterday's Sunday Trojan brunch, it was almost like SC's trying to commit suicide. I mean, a blocked field goal, a blocked punt, a missed PAT. I mean, uh, three turnovers. Uh, you can't do that and win, especially when the other team has 115 yards in penalties and doesn't make any difference, and there's a 50-point turnaround. So you you got to evaluate everything. you got to say something's not right. I'm sure they're going to do that. So I guess we could end it at that because we could <laughs> go on for 10 hours talking about it, and there isn't any one way of doing anything. Right, Coach. But and I did have concern. No, you do, and uh, and I think – there's a lot of concern. We got a lot of different questions and a lot of different type of questions. A lot of them have to do with some of the issues you brought up, not not necessarily spring football, but about Lane Kiffin and his future and if he should be the coach. And I wanted to read you, there's three different ones because there's kind of three different opinions. Most of, I mean, I think most people have been on the get rid of Lane Kiffin kind of bandwagon, but there are some different opinions out there. I wanted to read these three to you and then kind of get your comments on it, if that's okay. Um, Jeff is a math teacher in Fountain Valley. He says, I really like Coach Kiffin, but I think Pat Hayden needs to make some gutsy changes to get our beloved program back on track. Thanks, and I love the show. There's Rundy, who says, leave Lane Kiffin alone. Okay, we're all heartbroken about USC, but there are far too many fingers to point around and bad seasons happen. Kiffin has faced enormous pressure since day one. He will figure it out and become USC's greatest coach. Let's support our coach, not tear him down. After all, he is simply a man. How do you think he feels? Went on to uh, he went on to say that um, I'm sorry. So so that's how you think he feels. And then JV, who's an alum from 1997, says, "Where does this program go from here with respect to how coaching and practices are done? We can't do anything more about this season. It's over, but the staff must learn from it, and for the 2013 season, be more successful and not regress as it did this year. Did the coaching staff take a Ferrari?" and turn it into Toyota. So we have some people that are really down on Kiffin, some people that are high on Kiffin, and some people are like, I, I don't really know what to expect, but something has to change. I, I guess what are your thoughts on the whole situation, Coach? Well, let me put it to you this way. I'm not advocating any changes at all as far as with the head coaching position. Uh, that's not for me, but that's for administration, administrators and everyone to decide and, and work with Coach Giffen, but I think he has to sit down and look at his entire program and say why. And he can't get into it and look at it as something that says, uh, well, this is a friend of mine, or this is that, or I like calling plays, or my father coaches the defense. It's what's best for the USC Trojan football program. 
He's there to represent the Trojan football program, and he's there not to do what he likes to do, but do what he has to do. And that means represent the university in a fashion that it's used to. And this has been, and be realistic, the big one of the biggest collapses of the number one ranked team in the country. And there's reasons for it. As far as the different things, the problems of why they're not playing well, we can all talk about that all day. But the main number one thing is how do you solve it? So first of all, you take a look at yourself first as the head football coach. I know I always used to look at myself first and say, what can I do to make this football program better? And what can I do to help make myself stronger as a leader with the people that surround me? Because I'm only as good as the coaches. I'm only as good as the administration. I'm only as good as especially of the players. Coaches can win, but they can't win without great players. And also you must motivate and and recruit your players and maintain their growth so that they accomplish at the level that's expected of them. Obviously that hadn't happened, so what's going wrong? I think you got to sit down and look at your entire staff. But before you do that, I mentioned it a moment ago, you got to look at yourself. And you got to look at yourself and say, yes, I like doing this, but is it the best for the program? How can I get involved? What do we need to do? If you need to talk with someone that who you represent, who, who you respect, then you do that. If not, you're getting paid two, three, four, I don't know what it is, dollars a year to lead this program. So you should have the experience or understand what the experienced person will tell you as far as what they see on how to correct this program. Now, I'm not going to suggest right at this show what I think should be done. Because I think there's one more game that's going to be an exciting game. You don't make changes now, but you do try to improve on efforts in areas that you're not very good at. I'm excited about the Notre Dame game only because I want to see Matt Wittig play. Not that Matt Barkley's hurt. I feel bad about that, but I want to see this young man who will probably be the leader. They talk about Brown coming in and being the guy. Hey, you can't come in and be the guy until you prove you're the guy. And I think that sometimes isn't done there, and people assume someone's going to start when they aren't. Matt Wittick or Cody Kessler is the heir apparent, and I'm I'm anxious to see this kid play. He's big, he's strong, he throws the football well, he's uh, very mobile, he can run, and he can throw well on the run. He throws a great deep pass. So you got to look at the positives for this coming week. You got to look at what's out there as far as what you can end your season with as far as the Notre Dame game is a one-game season. And then when that game is done, then it's time for you to search your soul for as a head football coach and do what's right, first of all, for your program, and secondly, look at yourself and say, how can I become a better person and a better head football coach? That's why I'm going to answer that. Okay, Coach. Um, one of the things that I, you kind of touched on something I wanted to bring up here, I, I think if you listen to Lane Kiffin, he was on the Dan Patrick show on Monday, Monday morning. Uh, we had a conference call with him on Sunday night, and I think he takes blame. I don't, I don't think you can fault him for that. He does take blame. But when I heard him talk about, uh, you know, they ask him questions about what you can do better, things like that. He definitely started with himself. He says, what can I do better? But the stuff that I heard him say, it seemed to be more detailed stuff like call a better play here or things like that, where it was more about, you know, uh, I shouldn't have thrown the ball to you know a freshman fullback on fourth and two. He didn't say that specifically, but it seemed like that was more of what he was doing. When it seems like if you're the head coach, there's kind of bigger fish to fry. I, I don't know. I think it was Dan Weber that talks about this a lot and some other people too, that 
as a head coach, your job is to coach, and you, I, it's probably you, coach. I don't remember exactly. Your job is to coach the assistant coaches. I didn't hear a lot of stuff about that, where it's more of like a, an overall managing the game, managing how you practice and things like that, things that you've mentioned earlier. It seemed to be, at least what he was telling the media, more focused on, hey, call this play better, make sure you put these guys in a better situation on, on third and long. Um, it, I don't, is that a concern for you at all, coach? And do you, you see what I'm saying there? No, I do understand. I, I think that he's avoiding talking about issues and problems that are among his his program. That he's talking more about himself as far as play calling and and call that people call certain things to, like I did yesterday on that sweep with Lee uh, at tailback running a toss. I, I don't understand that play at all. Running laterally, he fumbled early in the game, and it cost him points. I mean, you don't need to do things. You don't have to be sweet or trick somebody at USC. And you can't put your figure at those things because it's more than that. And uh, you've got to look at how you become a better program under my leadership, my my player's coach attitude. Am I a player's coach? Do the players want to play for me? Do I play favorites? What is the attitude of my player? Should I call some players in and say, I respect you. What do you think or how can we improve our program? I mean, there's things that you can do where players want to win for you, not where they don't care. You've got to, you've got to search your soul and you've got to not be bigger than anybody else. You've got to be a part of everybody else. And you've got to make those people want to win for you. And you've got to be able to make decisions to make it a better football program. It's not one play here and one play there. What did I say? It was a, a moment ago. They committed suicide on Saturday. It wasn't one area. Tackling was terrible. Drop passes, fumbles, turnovers, block punts, block field goals, missed PATs. What are you talking about? It's <laughs> almost, I don't want to tell you what I want to call it, but it, it's not one area. It's a package. And it needs to, you need to stop the bleeding on this as soon as possible. Um, all right, Coach, let's move on to some of the questions. Here's a voicemail question. And I know this has been kind of a, a hot topic for you, so I, I saved this one for you, Coach. Here you go. Hello, Ryan. Uh, this is Guy. I'd like to talk to either Coach Hyde or Dan. It's been suggested over and over again on radio and on the websites that uh, – the solution to the problem is to get uh, a, a play caller that's separate from the head coach, which is Lane Kiffin, uh, an offensive coordinator that's separate, and that somehow this can be imposed upon him by, by Pat Hayden. I don't think that can happen. I think you either have to fire the, uh, the head coach that insists upon being the, the offensive coordinator, too, uh, or keep or keep the same old guy, and he's going to do the same old things he's always wanted to do. I don't see how you can tell a head coach what to do if he's the head coach. It's one thing. It's one way or the other, in in my opinion. And I think the solution is to get rid of Lane Kiffin. Thank you very much. Well, well thank you very much for uh, checking in with us. Um, there is that philosophy, uh, but now the trend of. Uh, administrators is to uh, give the head coach a, an opportunity to improve his program by taking a look at it himself. First of all, uh, I think some head coaches overreact. Mac Brown is one. I think that overreacts. He fires six coaches or six coaches leave or 
Wisconsin had a big turnover this past year. I mean, you can lose too much unity within your program because players like certain coaches, and they come to the university first set certain coaches they want to play for. And a lot of them come there because they like Lane Kiffin as a, as a person, and they come there to play. So you, to, to be able to go out and justify firing a head coach has got to be uh, justification, justification that you've given him advice, justification that you've given him a chance to correct things that aren't right, and if they don't do it and they don't make those changes, then there's justification as far as saying, hey, we gave you this opportunity to improve yourself and improve the program, and you disregarded it, and you still wanted to do this, and you still wanted to do that, and we still have these same problems, and we're going to have to make a change here. We're going a different direction. I've heard that told to me, and I know exactly, and in most cases, coaches know. Now, in my cases, my case, I didn't understand it. I said, good luck to you because we just had a great season. And at the same time, they got Jerry Tarkanian, and uh, it was a, a more of a personality issue than it was success on the field. But I think that that you've got to be able to give an individual the opportunity of correcting what's not working properly, and if it doesn't work properly again, then you've given him that opportunity, and the coach himself knows, hey, when you told me to meet you at 4 o'clock on Friday, I knew what it was about. And I think there's uh, – Changes sometimes you have to make within your staff, and I think those people know that when you call them in at 4 o'clock on Friday, they know what it's about, but they know their area of football wasn't working, and it's best it's the best interest of the head coach to make a change there. You've got to be able not to be everybody's friend. You've got to be able to be respected. Don't, don't disregard kindness for weakness. And you've got to be strong. And if that doesn't happen, and if you don't make the corrections, then you know that you're next. So uh, I think that's the best way to explain it. Uh, and that's where, the way it's going now. And uh, I think that's good. And uh, Lane has a lot of recruits out there, the number one recruiting class in the country. You certainly don't want to disrupt that. But, again, you can't jeopardize anything, and number one is the program. Not individuals, not players, not coaches. It's the program. All right, Coach, thanks for that. Let's go to Earl in West L.A. He's like, I, I think he just wrote this after coming home from the uh, rainy Rose Bowl. He said, now that I'm dried off and warm again, it seems the number one difference between this year's team and last year's team is attitude. We had the same players, same coaches, and ran the same place. However, last year, the mentality was us against them. Let's go out and show them they can't beat us. This year, all the preseason hype got into our heads, and we've been trying to live up to the hype and playing not to lose instead of playing to win. That's Earl in West L.A. Well, Earl, I don't know about all of that. There are times, yes, uh, you would look at that and you would say, yeah, uh, in the second half of games when you're ahead and you come out and you get beat or shut out in two games like you did uh, this season, you start to wonder what's going on with offense. Did we make the right adjustments? Did we do what we should do? And, uh, you know, you got to remember teams work on you year-round. And if you don't vary up things or do different things to alter what you're doing offensively or defensively or formation tendencies and all these different things, people get a beat on you. People know what you're going to do. They're thinking like you are, or at least their computer is thinking like you are. When you're on a search for certain hash mark in a certain formation with a certain tendency, they know what's going on. Early in the season, they ran the bubble screen. They ran it to death. They took it away. 
What did they do to adjust to the bubble screen? That's what I look at. I don't look at, uh, don't run it anymore. Uh, how can you help make it be successful? What can you do to say, hey, you just can't come up and jump on the bubble screen? Because if you do that, we're going to do this. We're going to come out, stock block you, and send Telfer or send Woods down the field, and they'll be wide open. Well, you do different things. It's a chess type of game. You don't just all of a sudden eliminate it from your offense. Early in the season, there weren't any screen passes. Uh, later on in the year, a couple of screen passes were thrown, which really did help the offense. And also draws. If you're going to throw the ball as much as you throw the ball, utilize the draw, but you've decided you're going to be a passing football team. Early in the season, they disregarded the run. They rotated backs in there. When they went down to the end zone, they didn't really get hard nose. I talked about it the entire year as far as having a jumbo type of offense where you get down when it's first fourth, first and goal on the five or six, you're just going to run the football in there. You're just going to pound it down the throat. You're going to tell the offensive lineman, hey, guys, you're going to get it in there. Put 12 guys on defense, and this is the way it goes. Didn't see that. So it's a when you say it's not a it's not a physical football team. I don't think it is. I think it's a more finesse type of football team. Yet when you mix the pass in with the run and the run in with the pass, it becomes a winnable type of offensive football team, which started to show in special parts of the game, not the entire game, but you have to stick with it. So if a certain play is not running right here or there, then there's something else that you're smart enough to go to, which means if you're taking this away, I'm going to do that. So, you know, there's there's a lot of things you have to do. I, I don't think they hit enough in practice. I'm an old-fashioned type of coach. If you listen to Mara, he said they pounded it, whatever that term means, pounded it Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Now, pounding it to me means, hey, they went live, or they went almost live. They played and practiced at the speed of the game. I think you have to do that. We used to always scrimmage on Thursdays. Do you think I'm kidding you? Go line scrimmage on Thursdays. Why? Pick the tempo up. Know what it feels like to get hit and hit back. And we went ones against ones. So uh, I remember a guy telling me that story this morning that when Jim Gabrowski was at uh, Illinois and Butkus was on defense. He says, every Thursday when we scrimmage, Butkus used to hit me two or three times, and I knew it'd be easier in the game. So, excuse me. So uh, that's the way I feel on that. Okay. Um, let's go to, we'll do another voicemail question. This one kind of a specific uh, offensive question. Here you go, Coach. Hi, guys. This is Mike from Montana, Texas. You guys do a great show every week. I was calling a question for Coach Harvey High. Coach, it seems like every time we run a, run a route where the receiver is supposed to run a short route and get down in the zone, Barkley then throw it to the wrong team almost every time, it seems like. Is that a, a missed route, or is that Barkley not reading the zone correctly? Thanks for the answer. We'll talk to you soon. All right, the way uh, I couldn't quite get all of his question, uh, Ryan, what was he basically so he asking? Was, he was talking about, like, the first play of the game uh, when Matt Barkley threw an interception. He's saying when the wide receivers kind of go out and are supposed to sit somewhere in the zone – it seems like Barkley throws a lot of interceptions. Um, is it that the receiver didn't go to the right spot? Is it that Barkley threw it to the wrong spot? Or was it, is it a read? Was it read wrong where they didn't do the right things? Like what's usually going on there when something like that happens? It's, it seems like a short throw, Coach, that 
shouldn't be that hard to complete, but if there's miscommunication or, or what was really going on there? Well, basically, it was a, a misread. I mean, they were, he was throwing to a spot, and uh, the receiver, I think it was Lee, went the wrong way. Uh, but when you when you look out there and you see people jumping on your route like that, I don't know how many of you were at the game. I was at the game. You, you don't throw that ball. You throw it over their heads, if nothing else. You don't throw it into the group because the percentage of getting that completed is wrong. But I don't know how many of you noticed Woods down the middle of the field. They jumped on that route so bad. Woods was down there pounding on his chest with his hands up in the air saying, oh, my goodness. If they'd have just pumped him and threw it down the woods, and if he'd looked around for other people, it'd have been there. So you have to keep your receivers aware that if the route's not there, the ball's liable to come to you. So uh, you throw it out of bounds, or you look for an additional receiver, such as Woods was right down the middle of the field. I've been talking about the pump on the bubble screen and sending your tell. You heard me mention it earlier in the, in the show today, down the field. Now, that helps your bubble screen or that helps your hitch with a block because they can't just come running up. You know, you can go out, block guy, get it back up and run down the field or go out and uh, he'll knock you down or go out and miss the block and just go down the field and pump the hitch or pump this bubble screen and throw it down to him. Now those guys aren't going to fly up that fast anymore. So there's a lot of different things you have to adjust to. And, uh, yes, that was just a bad, bad starting of a football game. When that happened, I said, oh, my gosh. hate <laughs> to say this term. Here we go again. Um, here's one from Andrea in San Clemente. Uh, she says, have any of Lane Kiffin's comments or taking the blame after the UCLA loss allowed you to feel he's changed his colors on this play calling? I'm worried that a young Max Wittick stepping up to quarterback for us against Notre Dame and next year – uh, we're going to see Lane's typical tendency to call a tight and conservative game and playing not to lose. So Andrea and San Clemente are a little concerned about how this offense is going to evolve from here, Coach. Well, you know, I think Matt Wittick has a great future. I said it a moment ago. I watched him in practice, and Ryan, you're out there all the time. I think this kid's a hell of an athlete. And uh, at times, uh, he might be the best deep passer out there. I don't want to uh, ignore anyone that I haven't seen, but I'm impressed by him. I think he's a leader. He went three for three as in the, that game. He's played in other games. He hasn't had much experience whatsoever in, in game. You might talk about him having some experience. He doesn't have any experience. But I think uh, he'll feel good knowing in advance that he's going to play. So I think the team will gravitate around him. Uh, they will assist him. They will play good and hard and I think they'll support him and uh, I think he'll he'll do a good job now uh, of course it all comes down to being able to move the football where he gains confidence and you've got to run the football to help him gain confidence with that it can't be all put on his shoulders to throw the ball every single down because if he's not on or needs to relax a little bit and he's nervous then it's, it's going to be more difficult for him Notre Dame is a beatable football team, but again, I will not say if he's going to win the football game because I don't know what team's going to show up. On the pregame shows each week, I get fired up and I talk about what you need to do to beat this team and so on and so on and blah, blah, blah. And for a half, they look like that football team. I don't know, and I don't believe they played a complete football game the entire year. Now they need to do that if they're going to beat Notre Dame, and they will remember something that's very special. But 
talking about that doesn't get it done. I think what they need to do is try to improve. They need to try to become a football team. It'll be senior day on top of Notre Dame football day. And they're in a very unique situation to accomplish something that would be very special. But talking about it and doing it is two different things. So I think Matt Wittick is great talent. Just put him in a position where he can be successful. All right, uh, Max Wittick, Coach. Uh, it's it's going to be a really interesting uh, time watching him out there. One one question for me, Coach, before we have one more, and then we'll uh, we'll let you go. Um, when you have a guy, okay, Max Wittick coming in, redshirt freshman, hasn't started a game, hasn't played significant minutes, just mop-up time, things like that. Um, you see a guy like Max go in there. Is, would the head coach ever go, hey, what is your favorite throw? What is your favorite route to some high-percentage play? And and you feel confident like going with that throw first. Just give him something that you know he likes to throw it. You know, if you're a basketball player and you have a favorite spot on the floor where you'd like to take a shot from, something like that. Would would a head coach ever go to a, a young quarterback like that, kind of pick his brain and then adjust the at least the first play call or two just to kind of make it easier on him to uh, you know get in the rhythm of the game? Yeah, you would if you knew you had that play to call. But right now, I don't know what that play is. It's in the bubble screen. And, uh, and uh, you know, you want to, uh, of course, uh, do that. Now, if there's a certain route or something in there that's open and you know you can do that against their coverage, fine. But I think what you got to do is give this kid confidence that you believe in him. And we're not changing our game plan. I mean, you put in your game plan, you keep it simple, and you execute it. You've got as good of players as Notre Dame. You just got to make sure your players are in a position that they can perform and you keep the game plan solid and one that can defeat your opponent, both offensively and defensively. And then you can, you have a chance. And basically that's all, you know, you know, they played quarterbacks as good as this kid from Notre Dame kids that control the ball and run the ball just as good as him. They've placed faced better running backs in the, in the pack 12 than, I think Notre Dame has. I think Notre Dame has an outstanding offensive line. Might be better than some of the offensive lines that they played. But they don't do anything that they can't stop defensively if they line up and give them a day game plan where they can get after them. I mean, uh, they've got some receivers. So they got to stop their tight end at Notre Dame. They didn't stop the tight end at, of UCLA, and I was surprised at that because he was the leading third-down guy, the guy they always want to go to, and if there's anybody you want to take out of the game, it was him, but they didn't do it. So if they take their tight end out of the game and they play a great game and they and, 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 and this kid, they played, they played better than a lot of these positions. Notre Dame just playing great team football. Team football, and they believe in what they're doing. And they're pretty damn good against the run on defense. So uh, I haven't seen them play a lot of times, but I know they got just as many good players as Notre Dame. It's putting them in a position where you can compete and win. And you've seen better players at a lot of positions that Notre Dame have. They're playing as a team, and they're believing in themselves, and they've won every close game that they've played. Every close game that they played in Stanford and all those other games they've won. Now, take a look at Stanford, and you say, hey, you know what? We could have beat Stanford. Well, they played Stanford back there, and they had to beat them in overtime. So compare those two programs. You've played against Oregon. You've played against Stanford. You've played against pretty good teams this year. Played against UCLA, who's 9-2. and two. 
So, you know, this is a good football team, Notre Dame, but what they are is they believe in themselves and they compete and they will not stop and they just keep competing and they've won close games. They don't quit at the end, but they won at the end. So this is where you have to play your complete football game. If you play a complete football game, uh, look at the look at the numbers. I didn't see the numbers what the favorite is, but it's very close, I think. So you know, those guys know what they're talking about. So we'll wait and see what happens. Hey, coach, one last one for you, Clay. We didn't talk about the defense very much. Uh, Clay's pretty simple. He said fourth and uh, fourteen and third and thirteen. How? Why? I know Coach Hyde. Doesn't like firing coaches, but good Lord, Monty is in over his head. They did give up some some third and longs and fourth and longs, Coach. Uh, any thoughts on all that? Well, yeah, it's definite pass situations. I don't know where the safeties are, what they're thinking. Uh, the Arizona game, what was it, third and 22? What was it in the UCLA game? Was it fourth and 22 or third and 22, whatever again, and they get hit the tight end? I mean, Wow. You, I mean, you saw, uh, you saw it, safeties huh? backing up at the line of scrimmage, Coach, in these long downs. It, it, it seemed like whenever they were in attack mode, uh, coaching's never the simple or football's never the simple, but it seemed like if the USC defenders were running towards the line of scrimmage pre-snap, it worked. If they were backpedaling away, it didn't work. And when the critical downs happened, they were backpedaling. They were in the, the soft zone, and, and UCLA just picked them apart. They did. And, uh, you know, they didn't change the routes. They threw two big routes to the tight end. Three, all the same route, corner routes, one for a touchdown, one for a third and 22, and another one for a nice play. Hundley put the ball right over the defensive back, a nice pass. Oh, man, I mean, you, you got me where <laughs> Sorry, it, it's, very, it's very, very frustrating. It It, it is, and uh, tackling was terrible, too. I mean, I don't want to point – uh, fingers, but I can when I have statistics that say the number of missed tackles and 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 so on. And uh, when they have a chance to sack a guy, or you let a guy, or you lose contain. When they had uh, uh, the no remaining backs and they ran the quarterback draw, I have a clue that they're going to do that. I mean, just have a clue, or have somebody spy him something. So uh, yeah, there's there's ways of always. Uh, talking about it after the game, but I agree 100%, too many big plays on downs that that uh, would cause a change of uh, change of the ball and get the ball back for the offense to have a chance to win. How many times have they been in that situation this year where it's been so disappointing when it's a third and down situation and they don't, they don't stop them? So, uh, yeah, I, I have to agree, uh, too soft, defensive backs not in the right position, the number one thing. I don't see any safety help on, on anything. I don't know what the safeties are even in the game on pass. <laughs> I mean, really, they're, they're, they're tackling all the whole time. Uh, they got well, the leading tackler on the team is D.J. McDonald, I think, uh, and he's strong. So he plays well, but you got to cover pass, too. So I, I don't know. But the main thing, uh, I'm not in staff meetings. I don't know what they're thinking. I don't know what their game plans are. All I'm doing is watching as everyone else is, and this is what we're all talking about. All right, Coach. Well, I know we went way long, and there's so many questions to get to, and I wanted to get your thoughts and everything. We really appreciate you sticking on with us. And uh, I know you've got a busy day, but thanks very much for coming on and sharing your thoughts. 
Well, thank you very much. And for all of you out there, happy Thanksgiving. Please uh, enjoy it. And then again this Saturday at the Coliseum, uh, a great traditional game. And myself, as I mentioned earlier, I'm really looking forward to watching Max Wittick play. I really am to see just how he fits into the schemes and the program at USC. I am as well, Coach. I'm sure everyone is too. Thanks very much. And if anyone needs tickets, make sure you go to sctickets.com. You can get good seats for USC Notre Dame. Thanks for everyone for tuning in. Back in 30 seconds talking with uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We're back here on the Peristyle Podcast talking with USCfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber continuing to dissect the USC-UCLA game and then looking forward to the USC-Notre Dame game. Lots to get to. Dan, thanks for coming on the show. How are you doing? Oh, pretty good. Not bad. At least we're USC's fortunate in this way. Uh, as difficult as the four losses have been, as difficult it is coming off that game, you know, you get to play Notre Dame. They're number one. I'm sorry, you can't answer any more than that. Uh, that kind of an opportunity to write things and uh, and be in the middle of, let's face it, it's the biggest story in college football next week. You know, game day is going to be there. Uh, if you get it right, everybody in the world says, wow, you know, USC, you know, got at least got it turned around or got it going in the right direction. So the opportunity is there, and I think USC and USC fans ought to be happy about it. This is about as good as it gets when you're in the situation USC's in right now. Yeah, it could be great. It uh, could be another bitter disappointment for USC fans. And, Dan, like I said, there was a ton of questions we got in. We're not going to get to all of them, but a lot of them have to do with this topic. I'm going to play you this first voicemail question. Hey, Ryan. This is Doug from uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and um, I'm a big USC fan since the uh, late 60s. Uh, I can't remember the last time I've seen a team so unprepared to play football the last five weeks, even though we knocked out a win last week as this team. Uh, it has to be somewhere from the top, and unfortunately I've been a, a Link Kiffin backer for the last couple of years, but he just seems to have hit a brick wall as far as uh, having his players listen to uh, what he wants to do or maybe uh, getting them up for a game. I don't know what the answer is, but they just don't look like they did in the beginning of the season or at the end of last year. Also, uh, I love uh, your podcast, and that's what I listen to every week, and uh, thanks for all that. And one question, the girl that does the uh, intro, is that your wife? I've been wondering that since she said she was from Tennessee, and a young lady seems to have a little uh, southern draw. Um, thanks again, Ryan, and fight on. I'll start, Dan. That That is my wife, yes. 
Tennessee football fans are probably in a worse place than uh, USC fans this week. Certainly. So we won't, uh, <laughs> we won't go any further. Although I would guess some of them would say, hey, we're where we have to be. What about you guys? So who knows? Uh, uh, and I think uh, I think our Florida I, – I believe I heard that correctly. Uh, that was a call from Florida. Yes, it was. And, uh, and I think, uh, you know, you guys know what you're – you know your football – and you know that USC team wasn't ready to play. And there have been a lot of games where they don't seem to be up to, to game speed. And, I, you know, I asked Lane about that on the conference call last night. He doesn't, seem, doesn't have an answer as to, you know, just talking after the game about digging ourselves in a big hole and then we try to fight out. And that's been a consistent pattern, actually. And uh, honestly, you know, from my observation, I just think you practice – like you play and you play like you practice and when your practices are so much involved in learning the the game plan for the week and learning the adjustments and the play calls and the personnel packages and all that kind of thing and all the coaches are reading from their play sheets and you're maybe not going full speed because it's all about not so much the execution of the play it's about the concept and the uh, and the getting into the play and getting that all right, uh, it, I think it slows them down. I just think I don't know that they're game speed. And I think they're one of the ways you look at it is I think USC's outscored opponents like by 120 points in the second quarter when they get up to game speed and they start, you know, okay, fighting back. Let's get in this thing. But uh, I think, you know, I think that was the, the beauty of what Pete Carroll's teams did. They practice fast, practice short. <clears throat> practice under pressure, and that was one of the things Pete really liked about having fans there. Is uh, you had to practice hard uh, because people were watching you every day. Day was game day. Another thing they did, they practiced with both teams, especially the offense, real really up close to uh, uh, the line of scrimmage, and everybody was you know they were under pressure uh, to perform. Now it's more of a, and, and, you know, this is just grabbing at things, but, you know, it's more like both um, uh, the offense is on one side and the defense is on the other. It looks a little bit more like the game. But in Pete's case, I really like the way that they had to perform with people standing all around them and up close and, and doing all those kinds of things that, that make it harder to perform in practice. And I think most of the USC players thought it was harder in practice than it was in games. And uh, you know, I still remember Auburn coach Tommy Tuberville saying how worried he was about that opener down in Auburn when he didn't think he could get his team up to the speed that USC was going to be playing at, that they were just going to be playing too fast for, them, for Auburn to adjust. Now the problem has flipped over, and teams look like they're going too fast for USC at the start. And uh, that's just not a good thing, and, and they haven't solved it at all. Uh, you know, and you can't put yourself in uh, in a hole the way they have against teams like, uh, you know, they could come back against Utah a couple of touchdowns down, but you can't do it against Oregon and Arizona. And even though they came back against Arizona, couldn't hold on, um, certainly couldn't hold on enough at UCLA. Uh, it's just not the way uh, – it's just not the way a good football team, uh, you know, performs. 
Um, Dan, there was also a lot of questions about the job status for Lane Kiffin. I'm going to play this one for you. And I do, people can check out, I wrote a column yesterday, uh, Change is Coming. So you can check that out. It seemed to be pretty well received about kind of what, at least what I thought. And I think Dan agrees with a lot of it. But uh, here's here's the question that, uh, that the next the next caller had. Hi, uh, this is Alan in St. Louis. I'm calling because of a question for the coaches, uh, for Coach for Coach Harvey and Dan Weber and Ryan. Um, I just want to know, could someone tell me why exactly Lane Kiffin has such a long leash? It feels like when I hear Pat Hayden talk about Kiffin or some of the other um, insiders at USC, whether on the coaching staff or, or from the athletic department, um, they seem to be making a lot of excuses for Kiffin, which I can understand. But it's almost as if there's something that they know that the rest of the public doesn't know. Um, could it be, for example, that uh, Pat Hayden agreed that he wouldn't let go of Kiffin until after the sanctions were over, or maybe he um, told the coaching staff that when they agreed to coach at USC that the sanctions were some type of holding period for them and that they would be judged after, with seasons post-sanctions. Um, there just seems to be something going on there. I'm just interested in hearing your thoughts. Thanks a lot. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you're on to something uh, uh, there. I think, you know, Ryan, very realistic, I think, uh, take on, on, on where things are going, that, that, that there's absent something we really don't know about or something that happens that we're not even anticipating or whatever. You know, you would, you would certainly think that Lane will get his, uh, you know, get his fourth year. Uh, now again, that doesn't solve all the problems. I mean, if there's a, an issue of uh, you know negative recruiting, people are going to say, "Hey, would you go to a place if if the coach is in his last year?" Uh, it won't be that easy to change uh, if you decide to you know change assistance at some key spots. It's not that easy necessarily to you know hire people to come in um, for a year if they. You know, you can give them a two-year contract, which I'm guessing would would probably happen if they if they do make a couple of hires. Uh, you know, there's the whole issue of uh, does Pat Hayden say uh, uh, we do need you to not call play? We need you to be the head coach and not be the play caller, or not be totally totally uh, consumed during games by the offense and by calling the next play, and we need you to be the head coach. And we don't know if that you know discussion has occurred, if it's going to occur, what the result of that discussion would be. So there are probably some areas up you know a little bit for grabs, but uh, but I think Ryan hit it you know right on the money that there will be changes. Uh, there won't be wholesale changes, uh, and you know I think Lane's had a magnificent plan for the sanctions and and for getting through the sanctions and for recruiting and all the things that you maybe don't see during games, you do see uh, in their approach to recruiting. So uh, uh, it's kind of one of those on the one hand, on the other hand, and I think it's one of those calls that um, USC doesn't make unless something really unforeseen one way or the other, whether it would be a, you know, laying or an opportunity to, to make, uh, uh, move in another direction that maybe you didn't anticipate uh, would come along. I don't look for that to happen, uh, but uh, but I think everybody seems to be on the same page. You, you said, do they know something? Yeah, I think they know. They know that they certainly expect Lane to be back. I, I think that's without even any question. Yeah, and then uh, 
thanks for that question. I agree. Thanks, Dan, for that. Um, another, I guess it's kind of a follow-up from the article. One of the things we wrote about is talking about that the the lack of depth might have been overplayed in the national media where it's not, you know, lack of depth wasn't the reason this team lost uh, four games. And uh, Ben Fick wrote in. He actually wrote in. I think he had enough questions, Dan, uh, for you and Coach Harvey Hyde for a whole show. He could have produced the whole yeah. show with every question we would have had to answer. But um, I want to at least get to one of them. He said, I'd like to hear from Dan regarding whether he shares your view that depth was not an issue. I have uh, extracted from Dan's remark that he thinks USC is not hitting in practice has been a problem for game performance. Isn't that a consequence of the depth issues? Well, I think it gives them a, a, a rationale for practicing the way they do. Uh, whether it's a good rationale or not, it's the way they practiced two years ago when they weren't under sanctions, uh, but, you know, felt like, oh, we don't have enough depth, so we don't have whatever. I mean, I think it, the way they practice is the way Lane wants to practice. And it's interesting. He was there for the whole peak, you know, era. <clears throat> but that doesn't seem to have rubbed off on him in terms of how they practice. Uh, uh, it's a much more NFL model, um, you know, assuming that the players are fundamentally pretty sound and could do all the basics, and now what you're doing is fine-tuning uh, the things you're going to do on offense and defense. For example, I think uh, their inability to tackle and their inability to get the proper angles and all that kind of thing is as much a prob- as a much a focus on the scheme as it is on you know, the physical way they practice. Because if you're not in place and if you're not moving, if your emphasis is reading and reacting, even if you were able to tackle, you might not be in the proper position to do so. And you might not be moving and you might not be doing all the things you need to do. So I think it's uh, part of the issue, the depth uh, in their own minds. But I think a lot of it is also – uh, the way they explain, the way Lane explains how they're doing what they're doing, uh, that, uh, you know, it's a, a result maybe of trying to, you know, protect your uh, personnel. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I tend to not agree with that. I think they've got, they've got as many guys who, who can play as some of Pete's best years uh, were not years where it was USC was heavy on uh, – on depth or where USC was using a lot of players and beating people with players. They were beating people with the way they played and with their good players. So, uh, you know, there's something to it in terms of the way Lane thinks it through, but I'm not sure that depth is any kind of a serious issue. I I would definitely agree with Ryan on that. One of the things that's funny, Dan, is if you looked at the Oregon game, the defense gave up a lot of points, obviously didn't get a whole lot of stops, just one punt. Ed Orgeron had a full-on hockey-style complete line change. He could run out four defensive linemen, and then if they get tired after a few plays, he ran four new ones out. They ran on and off the field. I mean, there's a lot of young talent on this team. People didn't really know there's a lot of freshmen and redshirt freshmen. I mean, you got a true freshman starting, uh, you know, and so uh, you know a defensive tackle. But there's there's more depth at the defensive line, which everyone thought was going to be an issue, especially after missing. Uh, Devon Kennard, who's who's gone, and you know having him not be there. If they have eight deep on the defensive line, that's something they didn't really have last year. You could argue the depth is even a little bit better. 
Yeah, I don't know that they had it during any of Pete's years. I don't think we ever saw complete line changes. I mean, basically, I didn't think anybody ever came in for Sean Cody or, uh, you know, Cedric Ellis or, you know, Big Kenichi Udazi or, uh, you know. I mean, look at, think about all the good defensive linemen. They didn't, they didn't have anybody backing those guys up. They just played. Now, college football's changed a little bit. Now, wouldn't it? Teams run more plays and they run more. Uh, you know, fast stuff, you know, to the sidelines and all the kind of stuff they do, you know, the spreads and all that. But but uh, I don't think that's an issue. I mean, I think it's just it gives them some reason to say we can't practice maybe physically. And I think people are focused on the tackling part of practice. I just, I would just like to see them practice fast and physical. That doesn't mean you have to tackle people. But it means you have to practice fast and physical. And we don't see that. We see too much, I think, standing around, too much looking like an NFL practice where the focus is on uh, the cerebral, the play sheet, the adjustment, the game plan, as opposed to um, doing things uh, under pressure at a very high speed. Uh, I'd like to see more of that. And I don't see as much of that as I should. And you don't have to get people hurt to practice that way. Um, we have a few questions about the defensive coordinator spot. I know you you, you touched on it a little bit. I'll I'll play this first voicemail, and then after you answer that, we have a couple more just uh, written ones. But here's the first one. Hello, uh, this is Evan Forte, uh, a longtime fan of USC. Uh, sad to see us lose that UCLA game, but uh, let's get straight to my question. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about uh, coaching changing uh, on the defensive side of the ball. I'm just curious about uh, if that does happen, uh, what's the possibility of Ken Norton Jr. being called by uh, Pat Hayden or Lane Kiffin to coach the defense? Uh, thank you. Uh, I, I I never did see Ken as a as the coordinator type, more the you know individual instructor, uh, recruiter, you know passionate uh, you know guy on the sideline. Uh, and I think what USC is going to need is an entire revamping of its defensive philosophy. And, I, I, you know, I don't know who that person is. You know, I don't know how where that person is. I think we're all assuming that's definitely going to have to happen, at least the, the change in the coordinator. I, I just think, there will, you know, Monty will be doing something else next year. I'd be shocked if he's not. Uh, but uh, where do you go? to develop that philosophy of, you know, it has to change. I mean, for example, I think Monty was stunned that Brett Hundley could make those, uh, he called them, he called, they called them the seven throws. Those are the throws that uh, they were making to kind of a mid-range out pattern, 20 yards deep, you know, whenever they needed it for a third and long, and they'd throw it to Ferrari or somebody, you know, and just lob it up. I mean, he was just throwing it, lobbing it over, the USC ineffective zone, and Monty was pretty amazed that they could keep doing that. And, you know, for a freshman, college football has changed. Quarterbacks, if you give them that throw, they'll make that throw. I mean, everybody has been making it against USC because they game plan for it, they know it's there, and it's no big deal. College quarterbacks uh, are better probably than the NFL guys were 20, 25 years ago when Monty was developing that defense. Uh, 
they just execute better. They're, they're bigger, they're stronger, they're more athletic. They're more comfortable making those throws. I mean, could Hundley have been any more comfortable? Uh, in, you know, and knowing that he was going to have a guy without anybody challenging him at the line of scrimmage, without anybody in his face, uh, when, he, uh, when he got the ball to him, all the guy had to do was go up and get it. Basically, that's what happened. That has to change. But uh, I'm not sure that Ken Norton is necessarily the guy uh, to do that. Uh, that. That just wouldn't necessarily be my call. Um, that Patrick's question was kind of the same thing, like who's potential candidates. But Brian's was more interesting, and I think you touched on this a little bit. If Lane Kiffin only has one more season to right the ship, how likely are we to attract a big-time defensive coordinator? I think that's a great question. We were just talking about that uh, beforehand. As, uh, uh, it's similar to the situation North Turner has in San Diego when he was able to hire Joe Barry away last year from USC, and people kept thinking, gosh, what's Joe Barry going down there for? They're gonna have, that staff's only going to have a year. And we're all pretty sure that Joe, you know, I mean, everything we understand is he got a two-year deal, which is what I think without a doubt USC to get the right guy, and who knows? <laughs> it's a, it's a kind of kid about it, but Joe Barry's liable to be available uh, to come back. Uh, now, uh, you know, do you, obviously, again, a two-year deal. He knows the situation. He knows everybody. Uh, we're still not 100% sure on how he left. I mean, he idolized Monty. Monty he was Monty's protege. Clearly, decided, okay, my future is in the NFL, and it's not necessarily in college football. We don't know all the ins and outs of, of why that decision was made. Joe is a guy, a USC guy, but also a guy who uh, spent most of his career coaching in the NFL. How does, that, how does that all, you know, would he be the transition guy next year, knowing that he understands where USC is exactly? Uh, I know he loved, you know, working, he recruited and working with Lamar Dawson. Is he, you know, the guy to get in here to really get things going for Lamar and, you know, with the other guys, you know, you know who are all going to be back? Uh, uh, it would be someone like that, you would think. Uh, but the fact that, you know, the situation is going to be uh, one year and bust, you know, it's going to complicate things, I think, a little bit, for, especially for a, a defensive coordinator and an offensive coordinator slash play caller if that's the direction uh, USC goes, whether it's Lane's call, somebody else's call. Uh, those two will be kind of interesting the way USC will have to approach the uh, uh, situation with, um, you know, with one year, uh, a one-year situation for Lane. Dan, for me, the, the one-year thing isn't too big of an issue. I guess when you look at this whole team, there's so many problems, but like if you fix special teams in this thing or, or turnovers in that game or penalties in this game, there's a lot of different problems. It seemed like you'd only need to fix one of them, and you probably win some of these games as opposed to it seemed like a whole bunch of things kind of went wrong. The defense was you know, a common uh, thread there. I mean, the bigger issue for me, and maybe you want to talk about this, is and I, I get questions like, well, why are you blaming Monty? Ed Orgeron's a defensive coordinator. Well, he's got the title. He doesn't have the job. Monty's the one making the calls. There's a lot of guys on this staff, offensive and defensive coordinators, that, that have titles that aren't really doing that. If you even bring in someone new, is it 
is it an option to just make Ed Orgeron the defensive coordinator? He's been in college for a while, or is it you bring in someone else, then what what happens to Ed Orgeron's title? I mean, there seems like a lot of questions with the titles and, and guys currently on the staff. If you keep them around, how does that all work together? That's a great – I mean, that's the other great question is there there's been a lot of finessing, you know, in order to hire, um, uh, you know, Ed Orgeron from Tennessee. They had to up his uh, classification to defensive coordinator. In order to hire uh, Kennedy Paula from uh, <clears throat> the Tennessee Titans, they had to offer him a coordinator's job. Uh, so uh, there are some, you know, there are some issues. I think, I mean, I think you could always have uh, somebody come in as an assistant head coach or associate head coach. That's what Monty's title is. So I think you could bring somebody in with that title. But how that all works, you know, in terms of. Uh, uh, you know, salaries and responsibilities and, and all of that with, with the guys that are here, that would be, you know, I think if it's the right person and the right situation and their situation doesn't change, say for Ed Orgeron and Kennedy Paula, uh, I think you can, you can pull it off, but I think it just has to be the right people. And I, you know, we'll, whether we're talking out of school or not, I think if you brought, uh, and I've been saying for a long time, the one person I think who could be, really an asset to Lane Kiffin on offense would be, and I know there's a meeting at Cal today, and I don't know what's going to happen with Jeff Tedford, but Jeff Tedford was, you know, um, he was the one that convinced Lane when he was a senior to become a grad assistant and get into coaching. And um, and Lane, you know, really, really, really respects Jeff. And, you know, would Jeff Tedford be the guy, you know, that you would bring in on offense and um, and either share the play calling duties or, and also maybe mentor, uh, mentor Lane. Uh, uh, I mean, I think it's doable when you look at a couple of the people that that might be out there and might be available. But um, say that that doesn't happen, uh, and those people aren't available, uh, you know, it's a little bit more iffy in terms of how exactly would you uh, reconstruct it, even if it's just a couple of you know positions and all that. Uh, uh, I mean, I think Lane wasn't kidding when he said, you know, they're going to take a look at the staff and evaluate it after the year. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, and uh, I think I don't think there's any question there will be some changes. There have to be changes. Uh, and uh, if the change isn't, uh, you know, with Lane, it's going to be somewhere. And uh, so I would be stunned if this staff continues on as it is right now. I think it's clearly uh, not working. And, uh, you know, We've got, we've got the proof, uh, and, uh, <laughs> and that's even you don't have to go to practices to know that. You just show up for the games, and and you see uh, that they're not as prepared. I mean, let's face it, UCLA was far better prepared for that game, got for, far more out of its ability, its talent, its players uh, than USC did. Um, that's a function of coaching. And there's no other way to you know look at it. So uh, they have to make changes. It's just there's not going to be total freedom to do anything they want. All right. Uh, let's go to Steve and Poway. He's, uh, do you think Andre Walker should be moved inside and let Max Turek take the left tackle position for good? Uh, he said after Barkley's injury, uh, in which it was clear from the replay that Andre was looking east when the defender was coming in unblocked from the west. Uh, that's Steve and Poway. And, and just so you know, the, I mean, for our listeners to know, when they release the depth chart, they still have Max Turek and Andre Walker as oars for the uh, left tackle spot. 
you know, I think one of the issues is, is as well as Max has done the previous couple of uh, weeks, and I know Lane was, you know, finally got up to calling it phenomenal. Um, it's a it's a it's a fast track to put a, a, a 280 pounder uh, left tackle uh, in you know big game after big game after big game. I know you know there were times I don't know that Max might be looking right when the you know pressure's coming left or looking left when the pressure's coming right, but there were some times he's he's had to grab onto people and hold on to them and and I do think I would really like to see him at 300 pounds. He, I think he really really. And, and he lost a bunch of weight kind of at the start of the year and never you know, thought he was going to get it back and has only gotten some of it back. So he's kind of, under, he's kind of more looked like a really big tight end right now. And uh, I think that's caught up with him a little bit. Um, so why Andre Walker seemed to be out there more than – because originally we were only going to see him one out of every three series. It looked like he was in there more than that Saturday. And – he does have a, a focus, an attention issue. I mean, I think it really hurt him that he missed two and a half weeks in August and still was, was named the starter and uh, clearly wasn't ready. He never played on the left side of the line at any time in his, in his high school or college career. Had trouble with the, with the stance, certainly had trouble with the starts, had trouble with a lot of the concepts. It's uh, uh, another reason why you think uh, is trying to be so much of a pro-style offense with kids that have never played in college before, never played, you know, on the left side before. Is that asking a lot? Clearly, uh, you know, he didn't know where to find Barr. I mean, Barr, they just did a little twist, you know, and Barr came inside, and he he just completely untouched. Nobody even looked at him. I mean, between Marcus Martin and – and uh, and Walker, they're both just standing there blocking air. I mean, you had two, you're both guys on the left side blocking no one. And here this, uh, here Barr has this just complete open shot that they open, they kind of stepped aside for him almost. And uh, that's just unacceptable. I mean, that just, just can't happen. And, and people wonder why Matt Barkley has tended not to go to his second and third read on uh, pass patterns. Well, one of the reasons is, He's never sure when somebody's going to come in completely unblocked and uh, you know drill their helmet right through his back. Uh, I guess that was helmet first contact. Now that I think about it, gee, I wonder if anybody in the Pac-12 will notice that uh, that play. I don't know. I guess probably not. <laughs> no, that's not. Who would who would see that? <laughs> anyway, I, I digress. Okay. But, uh, uh, well, after the uh, anyway, Juwan's yeah, Starling. It wasn't, wasn't obvious or anything, was it? You know, yeah. It wasn't like that really obvious Juwan's Starling yeah. coming over the top, making a play on the ball, getting to the ball first, and then getting, target, getting called for targeting. Yikes. I mean, come on. It just, they never, you know, so. Even Mike but, Pereira, yeah, like, tweeted about, about that. It wasn't about the officials, but, man, it's so hard not, not to throw them in there because it's the Pac-12, and they're just so beyond their capability of handling uh, handling plays like that. Yeah, Mike Pereira even tweeted about that one. That was that was pretty unbelievable to watch, like how you could call targeting when he, you know, reached up and slapped the ball away. I mean, it was a great play. I mean, I don't know what else you'd want to do as a defensive back. That's and something that has to be addressed. Runs by Lane and says, "That's what they're telling us. We have to call it, coach." No, you don't. You got to be a you know be a big boy. You know, grow up. You're in the Pac-12. He got the, he made the play on the ball. 
hell, call Faria for hitting him with his helmet because Faria didn't get out of the way. I mean, Starling gets to the ball first because the guy's 6'8 and standing there like a big lop. Uh, he's going to get a penalty because he happened to be in the way. Well, if he'd been a 5'8, Starling wouldn't have hit him. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like penalizing the kid for making a great play on the ball and reward the guy who didn't make a good play, and he just happened to be in the way after he's made a play on the ball. Once you make a play on the ball, once you've hit the ball, you're not targeting anybody. Faria wasn't in the play. Yeah. He didn't have the ball. Starling hit it. I mean, Starling was the one that got hit by Faria who was in his way. Yeah. Ah, just unbelievable. What? Stutter day in the Pac-12. What do you expect? Exactly. They're, it's way, way, way above any of their pay grade. If they get, a, if they pay them five dollars a game, those calls are above their pay grade. <laughs> All right. Well, we got one last topic. Uh, big news last night: Lane Kiffin conference call. Matt Barkley will be out for the Notre Dame game at least. Um, Max Wittick is going to take over. We have a voicemail question uh, about that. Here you go. Hey, Ryan, this is Eric and Rancho Cucamonga. Here's my question. Now that it looks like Whitty's going to have to start against Notre Dame, I wonder what approach Lane's going to take with him this week in practice. Do you think Lane is going to coach him to aggressively go after Notre Dame, let him pass the ball, let's try to put up some points on these guys? Or do you think he's going to take more of a conservative approach and just tell Whitty to just kind of conservatively manage the game and not take any unnecessary chances um, you know, in so doing? I remember a couple of years ago when we had to put Mustang in there. It seemed to me like we just didn't give him a chance to win that game until late in the fourth quarter, and we really should have won it with that pass he threw to Ronald Johnson. So I'm wondering what you or your guests will think Lane will do this time and what approach he'll take. You know, again, will he coach Wittick to go after him, pass the ball, let's score some points? Do you think he's coaching Wittick to just kind of conservatively manage the game? Uh, I'll be listening for the answer. Good question from Rancho Cucamonga. I think Lane actually told us w- what he's going to do, and I think it, it's correct. Uh, if, if USC were right now 10-1 and one, and they were playing Notre Dame for a BCS spot or whatever, I'm not, I'm not sure what the heck game plan you know, they would do or if they thought they were definitely better than Notre Dame and uh, wanted to try to just uh, play the angles and all that. But this is a game where – USC tends to play well offensively and defensively when their backs are against the wall. Like they're they're a terrible team on third down defense situations, but pretty good on on red zone, in the red zone because there's nowhere to back up to. Uh, and same way with offense, if they're down 24 to nothing, they kind of just come out and you know fire away, which I think you can almost look at the Notre Dame game as that that there there's nothing to lose. They're down. You know, they're seven and four, so they're not protecting anything. So I think also that there's the similarities between Wittick's game and, and Matt's game, and in some ways, you know, bigger guy, bigger arm, more able to run out of trouble in the pocket and all that. And the way he's been coached recently in practice, he's really been allowed to basically have the same game as Matt. Uh, I think he might even get to throw the ball deep more. So, uh, so I don't think it'll be the Mustang game plan, uh, even though they won't, you know, kind of totally back away from the over conservative nature of that one. Uh, and partly that was, I think, since since then we found out that Mustang had 
you know, attention deficit disorder, and that might have been as big a problem for him playing at USC as anything we, you know, we ever didn't realize uh, in terms of uh, the ability to make the kind of pro adjustments and all the things that they wanted him to do in the huddle. And they used to always say, well, he's just not like the other quarterbacks. But I think he always had the game uh, on the field. I just don't think they ever let him, let him do that game. I think with Wittick, uh, I think they'll let him throw the ball. I think they, and I really do think they may let him throw the ball deeper. They may air it out in ways we haven't seen him almost all year. Uh, so, uh, I mean, and it actually matches up against, you know, maybe what Notre Dame doesn't do, do as well. Uh, so, I don't think you're going to see a replay of uh, of the Mustang game two years ago. Not, I think the circumstances are so different uh, with Notre Dame number one and the chance for a, a win for USC that really kind of writes things uh, in some ways. They can at least look back and say, wow, you know, look what we did uh, to our arch rival and all, all of that. So uh, with the whole country watching. So, uh, I mean, let's face it, the ratings ought to be – phenomenal you know who in the south won't be watching this game i guarantee you in alabama and georgia they're going to be watching this game uh and uh you got notre dame people everywhere so uh this is a game where where usc can get a lot of things done but i don't think they can get it done by playing conservatively and i think they know that uh so uh so i'm optimistic that way in terms of for, you know if you want to see usc just go all out and and air it out and and, and go for it i think that's what you're going to see all right, Dan. Well, we appreciate you coming on. I know a little bit longer show this time because. Sorry. So no, no, it's not you. It's uh, we had so many questions. You did great. I mean, yeah. I think it was tighter this week. I think, but we just had more questions, and I tried to get to. As man, we had so many voicemail questions too. It's hard to get to all of those sometimes. But we, you know, I, I feel bad if you left the two-minute voicemail question. We just couldn't play it. Sorry, it wasn't that wasn't good. But you got to keep them tighter. So we played the shorter ones, and and Dan uh, answered as many as we could. So thanks very much for that, Dan. Well, I enjoyed it. Uh, lots of good questions again. Uh, you know, guys tend to be right on the money. That's uh, one of the, the best things about the USC fan base. A uh, uh, lot of smart guys. A lot of guys know what they're talking about. And, uh, it's always enjoyable to you know interact with them because uh, they're on the money. Certainly are. Well, Dan, thanks very much. And everyone else, thank you very much for tuning in. This has been the Peristyle Podcast. We'll talk to you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 